Okay, hey everybody, how you doing? And welcome to episode number 170 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining us. You know, we're just getting the live stream going here at seven o'clock. And boy, we've got a really good show prepared for you today. We're going to talk about the presidential debate that went on last night. You know, we're we're titling this episode the Demented Debate Debacle. And and that's what it was. So um, we're going to break down the debate. I've got some uh, some of my own hot takes on it and some, you know, kind of some unique perspectives that I think I'd like to share in this that might be a bit different than most of the debate reviews maybe that you've seen out there. So we're going to have some fresh takes on the presidential debate. I've got some comments uh, about things going on here in uh, in Poway, California. Uh, I'll save that till the end. I've got a great quote for the uh, closing quote for the end of the podcast. So this should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, we're live streaming this. So that means you can participate. Um, I invite your comments, your questions. Uh, we're live streaming this on both Facebook and on YouTube. So if you just type in your questions or your comments, I'll read them on the air and we'll have a bit of a dialogue. We'll have some fun here on a Wednesday night. We're broadcasting today actually at 7 p.m. And normally our, we're normally going Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock. But today was a special day um, because the Padres had a playoff game today at two o'clock. It started at two. And and um, I've been waiting 14 years for this game, for the Padres to play in the playoffs. And it didn't end well, but I'm not going to dwell on that. Uh, so that's the reason we're postponing it today until seven o'clock. And hopefully you all had a chance to have your dinner and then you can sit down and join us. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know how you're doing these days, man. It was hotter than hell today. It was like 105. I noticed in my car. I was driving around this afternoon. It's been tough. But, um, you know, I've been looking forward to this debate for a while. I think we all have because, you know, all the anticipation, you know, Trump and Biden and and, you know, everyone knew that Trump was just salivating like a like a, a, a rabid dog ready to sink his teeth into Biden. And I think everyone was waiting for the spectacle of this whole thing. And so, um, you know, I, I had it on my calendar. I was all excited. And then I by the way, so the debate started last night at six o'clock. And I had scheduled myself a dental appointment at three. I had to get a crown. And so this was step one where they kind of, you know, get in there and grind your tooth down, put a temporary crown on. I'm going to go back in a couple of weeks to get the, uh, the final one. But man, I came out of that dental appointment. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it in time for the six o'clock start. I was in the dentist for two and a half hours. They had to give me extra Novocaine to like, you know, relieve me. I, I felt I came out of there. I felt like, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard or something getting punched in the face so many times, uh, but uh, made it, got home just in time for the debate. And uh, boy, was it a spectacle. So um, just want to share with you, I got some thoughts here, you know, you know, going into this debate, it was interesting because, you know, I, I love these political debates and, you know, I, I enjoy having political candidates here on this podcast. Um, I was a, actually was really proud to be a sponsor of a political candidate forum. We'll call it a debate, but a candidate forum here in Poway. So I love the discussion of big ideas. And that's the reason I started this podcast. Uh, just cause I love the conversation. And so the debates are kind of, kind of like that, right? Sort of like the Super Bowl of political conversation and, and Super Bowl is probably a good analogy because really do these debates, I mean, how, how much do they really matter? Right. Um, really not at all. I mean, to me, it's almost like a sporting event. You know, you just want to see who's going to crush who. And, and so 
going into this, you know, I, I look at it purely, really, from from an entertainment perspective. I don't expect that there's going to be any significant conversation of big ideas, but I'm always hopeful for it. And, you know, there's always a lot of fun to be had because you know, I usually like to live tweet the debate and there's usually some fun conversation on Twitter. But, you know, in the end, it's all entertainment. It's all theater. But I still look forward to it. And I guess it's just sort of the political nerd in me. So, yeah, so the debates last night and, you know, going into this debate, I think everyone knew that Trump was going to come out, you know, really aggressive. And boy, was he. Um, so everyone expected he was going to try to rattle Biden, get him off his game, that he was going to really come out and really come after Biden. Um, there were definitely some people, this is pre-debate, that that thought that the strategy, you know, Trump is it really is playing um, from behind right now, that, you know, really he needed to find ways to divide and erode Trump's base. And the people expected that he was going to try to separate Biden from the progressive left. And we saw that play out in the debate. And then, yeah, then I think, you know, Trump is obviously, you know, just trying to, you know, pull people into the gutter with him. And there was a question of whether or not Biden was going to go into the gutter. So we, we all knew it was centered on Trump. And the thing with Biden, I think the strategy for him going in was just don't implode, you know, don't show a senior moment, just you know, just kind of rally and hang in there. And, um, you know, and, and for the most part, I thought he did. But I mean, this this thing was just a freaking disaster. The whole event was just what someone said. Was it Jake Tapper? I think he said it was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. And that's basically what this event was. It was just nonsense. Um, so, you know, I I started watching this and, you know, again, I'm coming back from my dental appointment. I feel like I got punched in the nose and uh, it was just really I was still my mouth was all like still numbed up and I'm sitting in my chair watching this thing. And immediately it just it just became out of hand. And, you know, the rules aren't being followed and people are talking over each other. And it just got to be really aggravating. And it was really hard to stay with it. Uh, and I just kept, you know, because I, I love the spirit of the debate. I want it to be a, a fun event. But it was really, really hard to stick with it. And and, you know, I probably got about halfway through the event and I had to turn it off for my own mental health because I was going crazy. Uh, So then later this morning, you know, I I went back online. I saw a lot of the video clips of it and I have a much better perspective on it. But it was just hell. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, there were just some crazy moments in it, too. I mean. Like, for example, I mean, here's some simple ones like Trump goes on and on about how it was the, you know, before COVID, it was the greatest economy ever. Boy, it was one of the best ever in American history. It wasn't a great economy. Like before COVID, GDP growth rate was around 2%. I mean, that's really anemic. President Trump, when he was campaigning in 2016, was promising between 4 and 6% growth, which would have been awesome. Um, but 2% growth is just barely keeping up with inflation and with population growth. Yet he was claiming this was the greatest economy ever. And he always goes back to the unemployment rates. Um, sure, but there's a lot of people that have exited out of the um, job market entirely because we've seen that since the Great Recession. So the greatest economy ever? No, not at all. Um, and then he even said, yeah, I brought back Big Ten football. And no, he didn't. <laughs> I mean, Big Ten made their own analysis. They brought it back on themselves. But you see a lot of this, 
you know, the debate lacks substance. It lacks real in-depth discussion. Instead, it's all these shiny objects, these distractions, these emotional appeals to try to pull people your way. And it ends up just being a ton of nonsense. So, um, yeah. So anyways, you know, we're doing the live stream. So we encourage your comments. So please share with us as we go through this. Um, you know, of course, Trump is up there talking about law and order. He's the law and order president and trying to get Biden to stand up for law and order. And it was hilarious because Trump was completely ignoring the laws or the rules of the debate itself and just completely frustrating the hell out of Chris Wallace, the moderator. And so it was, um, you know, the law and order president was disorderly and not following his own laws. And then the crazy part of it is, is that it was like um, bizarro world because Trump, here's Trump trying to stand up for law and order, which usually means the police cracking down on people and it's, you know, authoritarianism and throwing people in jail. And that's the whole law and order shtick, right? Well, he criticized Biden for the crime bill in the early 90s. Now, rightfully criticizing him. Uh, The crime bill in the early 90s ramped up the drug war, has led to more violations of our civil liberties, has created the mass incarceration state, which, uh, which, by the way, is insane that the people that are supporting Black Lives Matter, supporting criminal justice reform, are have nominated the guy that was the author of the crime bill from the 1990s who chose a vice presidential candidate who is was the district attorney from San Francisco and a former attorney general of California. I mean, she is the top cop or she was the top cop in California. Um, so it was funny and weird in a way that Trump was criticizing Biden for his law and order. And then meanwhile, Biden was kind of walk away from the law and order that he put forward because he was saying law and order and justice. But really, the crime bill from the 1990s was completely unjust and was completely, you know, about criminal injustice. So it was just this bizarro world thing of these zingers flying back and forth. Um, And and, you know, it got it got into this crazy section of it where Trump was given multiple opportunities to denounce white supremacy and he wouldn't do it. I mean, if you were one of the debate coaches, you would have seen this one coming a mile away. This is the easiest softball question to say, Mr. President, do you denounce white supremacy? It'd be easy to say oh, white supremacy is evil. I condemn it. I denounce it. There's no place in America. It is completely um, unaligned with our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It is completely a disconnect from the all concept that all men are created equal. He could have taken the high road, could have really supported Murica on um, the whole idea of condemning white supremacy, but instead he sidestepped it. And what a weak move. Now, obviously, he's doing that because he's trying to appeal to those bigots and racists um, to continue to support his campaign. But come on, you know, so are we going to see President Trump, you know, backpedal from that? And I think there was a little bit of that today. Um, but there was a really, really interesting kind of Twitter thread that I want to read to you. And this is from a woman. Her name is Elizabeth Newman. And she is the she was the former assistant secretary for counterterrorism in the Department of Homeland Security from 2018 to 2020. So this woman actually served with President Trump. And um, I, I just thought this was fascinating because it's directly aligned with this whole idea of Trump failing to condemn white supremacy. And Elizabeth Newman, she wrote this last night after the 
debate, the debate. And she said, it's late. I'd love to put this debate, uh, this debacle of a debate behind me, but I feel compelled to underscore the danger we're facing. As a mom, I struggle with explaining to my children they should respect the president and pray for him as God instructs, but not imitate his behavior. I have limited my my public commentary to those things which I have firsthand knowledge and those things which pose a danger to our country. Sure, there are other stories of the chaos and the craziness, but that's not my purpose for speaking out. So, again, she's the the former assistant secretary for counterterrorism. So the president of the United States comments tonight fall into both the first hand and dangerous category. I serve the Department of Homeland Security as the assistant secretary of counterterrorism from 2018 to 2020. The surge of violent white nationalism happened on my watch. Elizabeth Newman goes on to say, I worked in develop. I worked to develop policies, laws and programs to better prevent domestic terrorism. My colleagues and I tried to educate the president and his staff on this threat. Initially, I thought the rebuffing was due to having other priorities like defeating ISIS or counter to Iran. And she goes on to say, I concluded after the attacks in El Paso that the president of the United States was complicit in the deaths of Americans for his refusal to recognize that his language was in the El Paso shooters manifesto. Tonight, he was given the opportunity to condemn white supremacy, and he refused. Um, Elizabeth Newman goes on. There's just a little bit more here. She says, um, he instead told these groups to stand back and stand by. Online activity shows white supremacist groups and and the Proud Boys have been energized by his comments as a rallying cry to attack Antifa and left-wing groups. They've already created a logo with those words. If the president was confused by the exchange, he should issue a clarifying statement immediately. Otherwise, the public is left to assume he intended to not condemn white supremacism and intended to encourage more violence among Americans. So this is kind of the dog whistling thing that our friends on the left have been criticizing Trump for. And here it is. And then finally, Elizabeth Newman went on to say, Historians and terrorism experts believe this rhetoric is extremely dangerous. This is bigger than counter, countering Antifa protests and militia activity at riots. The root ideologies at play are responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing. Voters, it's up to you to fix the Trump problem. And was, gee whiz, I read that and I was like, wow. Um, so... Yeah, that it was just such an easy thing for him to do to condemn white supremacy, but he wouldn't. And that's what just made this whole debate debacle even crazier. So besides the the nonsense and the interruptions and Trump running around like a bull in a china shop, um, there were opportunities where he well, he first of all, he was making outright lies. Um, and at the other side of it, he was you know given opportunities to condemn white supremacy and he didn't. Um, but. You know, it's it's not him that was just the problem. It was Biden, too. I mean, Biden was, you know, granted, Biden didn't have really that 
bad of a debate. I mean, he certainly wasn't good. Biden was clearly at times looking like a deer in the headlights. Biden, you know, you wonder if he has dementia. He sort of kind of held it together. And really, when when Trump is over there just with a barrage of um, flame throwing from his uh, podium, I mean, any even a sane person would have trouble kind of handling themselves in that. Um, so, you know, I mean, look at Biden. I mean, he was given a direct question if he planned to stack the court and he refused to answer. And he even said, I refuse to answer, which was insane. I mean, this is a straight up question. He's dodging it. And it was it was awful. So, you know, this is about the whole point. Like if, you know, if if Trump's nominee, what's her name? Um can't remember her name, but the, the, the Supreme Court justice, if she is actually nominated to the Supreme Court, it might be six to three conservatives to liberals. And then could the if Biden was elected, could he stack the court and add more justices, increase it from nine to 11 to 13 to 15 to 17? I mean, this is kind of what FDR talked about doing back in the 30s. But Biden refused to acknowledge that. Um, and it was interesting, too, is during the debate, Biden um, separated himself from the progressive wing. He 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 denounced Medicare for all and the Green New Deal. But the crazy thing is, is that in 2016, Trump campaigned for universal health care. He was promising that um, the government would provide health care for everyone that needs it. And he it would be the best health care program in the world. It was a similar to Biden's plan in many ways. Um, and Trump campaigned on that in 2016. Yet he condemned Biden and his plan and Biden, you know, actually going through the debates, um, you know, he, the 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 energy of the whole progressive movement was for um, Medicare for all. And Biden was against it. And yet the left wing nominated him, which I just can't believe they did. I mean, Biden is just a terrible candidate. I mean, he's just he's like from a, a galaxy far, far away and a time long ago. So the guy was just, you know, it's just sad seeing him up there. And then, you know, there was the other opportunity where, you know, Biden is up there on stage trying to have a tender moment, an emotional moment, talking about his son, Bo. And then Trump's over there like, well, what about your other son, Hunter, and all the things that he's doing? It was just nasty. It was guttural. It was confusing. It was chaotic. And it was just nonsense. And then at the end of the debate, Okay, you know, they're way over on their podiums on either side. And after the debate, you know, uh, Melania Trump kind of walks up, gives a head nod to 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 Biden. And and she's stands next to um, her husband. And then Jill Biden comes up on stage and she's wearing the mask and she gives a hug to her husband. And then after the after they were done, you know, with the photo op with their wives, uh, Trump goes over and gives sort of like a head nod to Chris Wallace. But then Biden comes over to Chris Wallace without a mask reaches out and shakes his hand and you're like Biden what in the hell are you doing you know and it was caught on camera and it's like he just he doesn't realize the situation we're in and the politics of you know COVID and everything else I mean it's a total violation of what a lot of the left-wing people are really pushing right now about doing everything possible to contain the virus so the, the whole thing is just nuts now 
if you can't tell uh, from my perspective, I don't like either one of these turkeys. Um, I'm not a Trump supporter. I didn't Trump support Trump in 2016. I am not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I don't support Biden. I, I didn't support Obama. I mean, I just want a presidential candidate that will protect individual rights, will not interfere in the free market, and otherwise just leave us alone. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. Someone that will defend our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But instead, these two candidates are just horrible, both of them. And we saw it fully on display last night. And I mean, if you have to be crazy, I mean, to think, I mean, were people actually saying, wow, I'm really happy with these two guys. Boy, we've got really two great choices to pick from. It was nonsense. So you have to ask yourself, why? You know, in America, where we have capitalism and seemingly endless options for soda and toothpaste and any cars, I mean, computers, technology, there is an unlimited supply of choices. And yet when we get to the presidential debates, there's only two. We still continue to get served up a terrible Republican candidate and a terrible Democratic candidate. And it then becomes a question of which one sucks less. That's what this always comes down to. And it's just insane. So, again, we're live streaming on, on Facebook and YouTube. I encourage your questions and comments. Type them in into the comments section. I'll read them on the air and we'll continue the discussion. But why were there only two podiums on the stage? I mean, when they go through the primaries, there are, you know, the de- Democratic primary. I think there were like 20 people running for president and they um, they had to break the debate, the first primary debates into two nights. There were so many. Um, and the same thing was true of the GOP in 2016. Remember, there were like 10 or 12 candidates, I think 15 candidates. And they had like a, a cocktail hour or like they called it the kiddie table debate. So we have so many choices in And when we go shopping for products in America, that's part of what really makes America great is capitalism and choice. um, In fact, liberty. But when we get down to these debates every four years, there's three debates for the president. There's one debate for the vice president and there's only two lecterns, two podiums. And I'm thinking we need more choices. We need more options. We need different points of view. For Christ's sake. But we keep getting served up these two terrible choices. But there are other candidates running for president. But yet the system is rigged. The system is set up where the media won't cover the other candidates for president. And therefore, they don't ever get onto the, you know, onto the debate stage because they don't get high enough in the polls. And it creates this chicken and egg situation. But these there's two third parties that have done the due diligence and yeoman's work going out and hustling to get their candidates on the ballots. And it's not easy for these third party candidates to get on the ballot. In fact, it's way harder harder for them. They have to get way more signatures to get on the ballot in many states um, because the system is rigged for the Republicans and Democrats. So Joe Jorgensen, you know, a woman, Joe Jorgensen is the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. She's on the on the uh, ballot in all 50 states, including Washington, D.C. They've done all of their uh, due diligence, all of the hard work. They've gotten the signatures. They got people up on board. They've got people, um, you know, they got them on all the ballots. And she is, in my opinion, a legitimate presidential candidate. She should be on the stage. 
but she's being shut out. And then even amongst the Green Party, the Green Party candidate is Howie Hawkins. Howie Hawkins um, has been is on 30 or more uh, state ballots. Where is Howie Hawkins? Um, If you are a progressive left winger, Howie Hawkins is perfect for you. Um, But they're shutting them out and they're serving up a corporatist middle of the road Democrat. I mean, you think about the Democrats when they win, they usually nominate a young person that's representative of a new generation like uh, John F. Kennedy or, um, you know, even Carter was relatively young when he was made president. And then, of course, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Um, they had an opportunity to do that this round, but instead they went with the old guy. And so on stage, we have two choices between two old white guys uh, that are in their 70s who have both been accused of sexual assault, and they're both um, very serious allegations about their mental health. And that's what we're served up. Um, so it's just terrible. So, you know, the, the way this whole thing works is there's a commission for presidential debates, and they're the ones that organize this whole thing. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you know, they've done polls for this sort of thing. Like, why is there only two podiums? And consistently voters come out and they say they want to have additional choices. Um, 60, according to a Harris X poll in September of 2018, 66% of voters say neither party represents them. 75% of voters believe politicians are more accountable to their party's leadership than they are to the people which is totally true. People are saying you need to put country over party. Uh, people, these politicians put their party first. Um, only 20% of people trust government. If there's such disdain for these two parties, why, why, why um, are there only those two choices? I mean, there are polls that have been taken where they ask people to self-identify. Um, you know, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you independent? In many of those polls, more people self-identify as independent than they do as Republican or as Democrat. If there is a plurality of people that self identify themselves as independent, where is the independent candidate on the stage? Where is the third or the fourth candidate? Why don't we have more choices? Um, And yeah, sure, they might be on the ballot, um, which, by the way, I think should qualify. If you're on the ballot in enough states to mathematically win the Electoral College, you should be in the debates. Um, But they rig the system to keep them out. So I really want to break this this whole idea down because it's a huge issue, a big issue. And a lot of people just really don't focus on this. You know, they always kind of get in the battle. It's red versus blue. It's Republican and Democrat. It's Trump and Biden. You know, it's it's the same nonsense that we're served up every four years. But the nonsense is on purpose. The nonsense was purposely set up this way. So you remember like going, uh, you know, going back in history, you know, the, there were the Lincoln Douglas debates, you know, back in the 19th century. And of course there was the famous debates between JFK and Nixon. And um, then there weren't really many debates. Um, and there might, they might've come back maybe in, um, yeah, was it like 76, I think, or maybe uh, 1980 and the League of women voters, 
were the ones that ran the debate. And the League of Women Voters do a great, great job. In fact, the League of Women Voters um, hosted a debate here in Poway for Poway City Council candidates and for candidates for Poway School Board. And I was honored to be a uh, sponsor of that event, along with uh, the Facebook group South and North Poway Votes. So the League of Women Voters is as nonpartisan as you're going to get. They really play it down the middle. They're very neutral. They're very fair. And they've always done a good job. But what ended up happening as um, the League of Women Voters ran the debates in 1980 and in 1984. Um, 84, by the way, was a good one. That was Mondale and Reagan. And remember, uh, <laughs> Reagan, Reagan was getting some heat about his age. And then he said, I'm not going to... Um, you know, take advantage of my opponent's youth and inexperience. That was a good line. I got to give him credit for that. Uh, but going into the 1988 debate, if you remember, that was Dukakis and George H.W. Bush. And they were really arguing about the debates. And there was like really ticky tacky things like the height of the podiums. And and they really wanted to manage what questions were asked. And they finally got to a point and they said, screw it. We're not going to use the League of Women Voters. We're going to create our own debate organization. And and that's ultimately what the Commission on Presidential Debates is. It's run by the Republicans and the Democrats. It's like inside baseball. It's their own thing. They've rigged the debates just for them. And um, and they've they get corporate America to back it. If you look at the sponsors of the Commission on Presidential Debates, it's like, you know, the Fortune 100 list. It's like the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the top 30 stocks. It's corporate America. And what candidates do corporate America want? They want the Republicans or the Democrats, and they typically play them both ways because the Republicans and the Democrats are going to rig the economy to support big corporations. The Republicans and the Democrats are handing out huge volumes of money to the corporations. The Republicans and the Democrats are the chief central planners in chief that are going to try to distort and rig the economy. And that's what we're seeing now, where even in this COVID crisis, we're seeing small businesses being declared non-essential. But big businesses like Home Depot and Costco and Walmart are being declared essential businesses. And those are those businesses are kept open while a lot of small mom and pop businesses are shut down. That's just one example. And you could say, yeah, that's because of the COVID virus and et cetera, et cetera. But that's the real deal. Um, You know, small businesses like look at how the money was spent for the COVID bailouts. Now, I don't support the bailouts, but they do exist. But the money was going in giant shares was going to these large corporations. President Trump has like a five hundred billion dollar slush fund that he can spend as he sees fit. So the corporations, the, the, the large corporations in America want the Republicans and Democrats because they're going to set up a system that benefits them. It's a quid pro quo relationship where they scratch each other's back and they've rigged the debates to keep out any competition. Now, in 88, they um, it was Dukakis and George H.W. Bush, and that was the whole Willie Brown, you know, uh, controversy in the debates. But then it got to 92. I remember that was Ross Perot. And, um, and Perot was this big phenomenon. Um, you know, he was out there with his, like, look here. And he had these, like, you know, pie charts talking about the national debt. And by the way, the national debt back then was like $4 million, five, or excuse me, $4 trillion maybe, $5 trillion, something like that. It's now like $27 trillion. I mean, it's insane how big the debt is right now. Um, so... You know, he was such a phenomenon. They they almost couldn't 
not invite him. And so the, in the 92 debates, there were actually three people on stage. There was Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush and Ross Perot. And that was the debate, by the way. Remember, George H.W. Bush kept like looking to his watch, like, when's this damn thing going to be over? And that was that, you know, H.W. was like in a, just a, a free fall there at the end because the economy was going in the tank. That's when Bill Clinton and James Carville were saying, yeah, it's the economy, stupid. But Perot made a really big run. And then remember, there was a lot of controversy. Perot dropped out. I think there was some, you know, apparently there was a threat to his daughter, I think. And and people wanted to kill her or kill him. And and he dropped out of the presidential race, maybe in August or so, maybe September. And then he jumped back in at the last minute in October. And by that time, you know, some of his base was eroded. But he ended up with 19 percent of the vote. And sometimes people will say that Perot was the reason that Clinton was elected. But really, that's proven not to be true. Um, They've done exit polls. And generally speaking, Perot pulled from both Republicans and Democrats fairly even. Uh, But still, that was an interesting debate uh, because there were three people on the stage. And it made it a lot more interesting uh, because you had three different points of view where often the Republicans and Democrats, while we try, they try to portray them as though they are polar opposites, that they are like night and day. They're good and evil or evil and good, depending on your perspective. But if you really break down the policies, the Republicans and Democrats are very, very similar, even in the era of Trump. They're very, very similar. If you really kind of get beyond all the Trump BS and the rhetoric, if you really get down to the policies, they're darn similar parties. In fact, I'm going to do a podcast on that. I, have, I made a list of all the ways the Republicans and Democrats are they're very similar. They're, they're not identical. They're not exactly the same, but they are the only differences of degree, not of kind. Um, but they, they give this false facade that the Republicans and Democrats are the two choices, the only choices, and they're dramatically different when, in fact, the system is rigged in the debates. They'll only allow the Republicans and the Democrats. They're going to keep out the third parties. And those two parties are very tightly aligned, very similar in policies. I mean, no matter if we have a Republican or a Democrat, we get more war, more debt, more corporate welfare. It doesn't matter. It's always the same. And um, and, 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 and in this case, the, the, the corporate America backs the Commission on Presidential Debates. The Commission on Presidential Debates decides who's invited, and they disinvite the third parties. So after Perot was in the 92 debate, um, you remember he ran again in 96. He didn't have as much traction, and they wouldn't let him into the debate in 96. And then finally, in 2000, they changed the rules because they didn't want to have any of these pesky third parties and any problems with it. And what they did is they upped it to being 15 percent in the polls. They said, if you are in 15 percent of five polls of which we, the Commission on Presidential Debates, choose, then we'll let you into the debate. But it's a chicken and egg thing because what happens is, is that when people realize that these third parties are not getting much traction because it's so damn hard for them to get in the debate, then they don't get the media coverage. And if they don't get the media coverage, then they can't get in, you know, ranking in the polls to get to the 15 percent. In a lot of cases, the polls only give two choices. Do you support Trump or do you support support Biden? They don't ever say, do you support the Jorgensen or, you know, the, uh, the, the Green Party candidate, Howie Hawkins? They don't ever ask about these other alternatives in the 
the poll. So how can you get to 15% in a poll if you're not even one of the choices in the poll? And those are the polls that the Commission on Presidential Bates choose to use to um, say you've got to be in this poll at 15% in order to get into the debates. So it's a completely rigged system. And so when I see... What's going on with this debate last night where it was just horrible? I mean, it was just Trump like a bull in a china shop running over Biden, running over Chris Wallace. Um, Biden, you know, just trying to stay upright, (laughs) trying to make it through. Um, And you're just thinking, is this are these the two best candidates that exist for president? Really? Is this what's being served up? Is this why are we arguing over these two people? They're both terrible. So why are we having to pick between these two? Um, And Matthew Brannigan on the live stream says, oh, to have someone of Ross Perot's caliber in the race. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if someone like Ross Perot was in the debate? And whether or not you agree with that third choice or a fourth choice, just someone to like come into the debate and offer a different point of view and sort of change the whole paradigm of the debate. They keep discussing the same issues and they ignore a lot of other issues. You know, they they don't, did they really even talk about criminal justice reform last night? Probably not. I mean, I I didn't catch any of that when the parts that I watch or in the, in the reviews I watched, did they ever talk about abolishing the war on drugs, which is the reason why we have a terrible criminal justice system, why we have a mass incarceration state. Thank you. um, You know, vice president Biden wrote that law in the early nineties. Um, That's the reason that we have so many people in jail. We have so much police brutality, police violating Fourth Amendment rights, you know, people getting pulled over. um, The police militarized and way the damn too aggressive is because of the war on drugs. That's probably one of the core problems with the criminal justice system. And yet it's never discussed because the Republicans and Democrats limit the conversation to a small group of of issues and ignore all these other things. And they will disinvite um, these other third party candidates so they don't have to talk about those other things. So the whole system is is just a disgrace. And then each of these um, debates just becomes more and more insane, more and more, um, you know, Uh, getting away from actually having a real discussion on ideas, but instead just throwing out zingers to see who's going to own who, um, giving out some dog whistles or other kind of call outs to different, um, you know, special interest groups, um, making it emotional and not logical, not rational. It's a completely irrational event. It, It used to be that the debates before were only partly irrational, that they were had some reason to it, and they were still great entertainment. But last night's was so over the edge, so n- nonsensical, that there is no way that it had any rationality to it at all. Um, you know, you see people like on social media, like, you know, one of my friends here in Poway, Alan Gasworth, said, um, yeah, that was like 90 minutes of my life. I'm never going to get back. It was just a disgrace. And now think about me. I, I had a dental appointment, you know, in the three hours preceding that debate. I came home from that. I was like, I felt like I got run over by a bus. I felt like I was like, you know, went 10 rounds with Muhammad Ali, uh, the greatest of all time. And uh, man, I was just a wreck. And then I turn on the TV looking forward to this debate. And that's what we got. Just 
trash, just garbage. It was horrible. And so why does the system exist this way? I mean, so one of the, again, I'm, you can tell I'm heated about this, but one of the things about this podcast that I'm very proud of is, is that we have guests that come in here and we have a very long form, rational, civil conversation about the issues. Um, some of the guests on my uh, podcast, I really like, and I really support. There are other guests that come onto the podcast that I would never vote for in a million years. Um, maybe that comes through, but I try to play them even. I try to be even handed because I like the discussion. I like seeing where the conversation is going to go. We get greater insight to these candidates. We learn about them. We understand more about their character, what makes them tick. I think that's really valuable for voters. And frankly, it's really interesting for me as a political nerd. Um, but these debates are like completely it's like the WWE of political conversation. It's like we should have, you know, Hulk Hogan um, out there. I mean, frankly, that Trump embraced that whole WWE concept. He, there's lots of video clips of him out in the wrestling ring. So you can see how that is part of Trump and how he brings that into the political discourse. And it's just nuts. I mean, this. And then the crazy thing is everyone's saying, okay, who won the debate? Did Biden win the debate? Did Trump win the debate? Pretty much, depending if you're, if you're a Republican, you think Trump won. And if you're a, a Democrat, you think Biden won. Everyone thinks that their guy won. But the whole thing was just bullshit. It was just terrible. And you know what's going to happen is by the time we get to Saturday or Sunday this weekend, people are going to largely forget about it. And if you think about this, I guess there are about 10 or 11% of people that haven't really decided who they're going to vote for, which to me is amazing. Um, but uh, do these people actually want to wait for the debate so they can decide? I mean, after you saw that display, imagine if you're an undecided voter and you watched the debate last night. What would you say? You would say, oh, my God. And then imagine if you were a person that never votes at all. There's a huge number of people that are registered voters that don't vote at all. Do you think that debate last night encouraged them to vote? I don't think so. Not at all. I don't think so. I think that debate is reinforces people's distaste for politics. Say, screw that. I don't want to be anywhere near that nonsense. So Pete Neal um, chimes in. Woo. You can't vote in District One again. Woo. <laughs> yeah, I can. I here in Poway, I, I think I'm in District Three. So that uh, John Mullen is my council member here in the city of Poway. That seat will come up in two years. So I'm kind of curious to see who they put forward. Uh, Matthew Brannigan writes, uh, neither of them are capable like two bald men fighting over a comb. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, have you ever seen like the engineering diagram of how Trump does his hair <laughs> where it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's an artistic masterpiece, really how they do that, but they have been able to get the comb overs to look just right to cover up essentially a, a bald head. Um, there's been a couple of photos that have caught him in the wind where his hairstyle gets destroyed and you kind of see, yeah, it's just like any old guy. They start losing their hair, but yeah, the, both of them, it was two terrible candidates. The Democrats, God, you know, again, I don't support the Democrats, but I do like it when they they bring forward like a young guy that's got or a young woman that has energy, that's a representative of a new generation that brings some, you know, excitement. Uh, but Biden is so out of touch um, with reality today in 2020. His mind is still stuck like 25 years ago. So 
uh, the two, these two candidates, I just can't get over how awful it is. And pretty much every candidate is every voter. It seems to me, if you're a democratic voter, you probably don't like Biden very much, but you just say, okay, well, that's who we've got and we got to get rid of Trump. So we'll vote for Biden. Now, amongst Trump supporters, a little different. There are a group of people that absolutely love Trump uh, that will go to war for that guy. Um, But there's also a lot of Republicans that are just like the Biden. uh, This is like the Democrats where uh, I don't like Trump. I I don't like his character. I don't like what he tweets. I I don't even like some of his policies, but I don't want the liberals in. So I'm going to vote for Trump. There was a lot of people that do that. But Really, the number, the percentage of people that are positively for Trump or Biden is a tiny fraction of the total that will vote and a tiny, even tinier fraction of the total number of registered voters and even a tinier fraction of the number of U.S. citizens that are age 18 and over that are eligible to vote. So we're being served up, you know, to terrible choices. And yet the system is set up where the third parties are not in the debate. And so when the third parties are not in the debate, then people say, well, who the hell are these other people? They're not viable. They're never going to win. And so then it just reinforces voting for these two terrible candidates, whatever the GOP and the Democrats put forward. And the cycle continues and continues. And overall, they keep getting worse and worse and worse. Every time. So, um, you know, it's just it's just terrible for America. And we talk about, you know, make America great again. Last night was not great. (laughs) Last night was awful. Last night was a disgrace. And Trump says, make America great again. Well, geez, I mean, he's he's pulling the whole conversation into the gutter. Um, It's just so disgusting. Um, So then you wonder. Okay, let's just say that there was an undecided voter and they watched that display. Do you think it's going to move the needle? Do you think the, you know, Trump, I guess, is down by, I don't know how many points, six points, seven points nationally, something like that. Do you think it's going to change much after this debate? I'm not sure it will. I, I think the, the Trump people are going to say Trump won. The Biden people are going to say Biden won. The very few people that are undecided are probably saying F you. And, the, and probably nothing has changed. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be post-debate polls that will come out. But it, it, it's not going to change much. And then they're, apparently they're going to change the rules in the next debate. And so the moderator is going to have a mute button. And he can cut off their microphone. That'll be great because um, it was just insane how Trump was completely ignoring the rules of the debate. He's the law and order president, but he doesn't even obey his own laws. (laughs) The laws in this case for the debate itself. So um, it's just crazy. I mean, there was one good moment in the debate. And and I will say this. My favorite part about the debate goes without saying um, is the backdrop was a, um, a rendering of the Declaration of Independence. And we saw the preamble there that all men are created equal. We saw how we have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is sort of my, um, I guess, my noble quest in this podcast. It's my higher purpose, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I saw that on the backdrop during the debate. That was the only thing I liked. Um, 
And, you know, they're also on the, the backdrop. It says, and when governments, I can't remember exactly how it's phrased, but when governments are proven to be ineffective, it's upon the people to destroy the government and come up with a new one. And I'm thinking, well, if there's ever been a time to blow it up and try something new, this is it. Because these two candidates were just terrible. So, again, we I encourage you to participate in the live stream. We're live streaming on YouTube and on Facebook. So type your comments in and I'll be happy to share them. You know, Pete, you're 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 happy I can't vote in District One. <laughs> you know, uh, I know you're a candidate in District One in 2018. I know you're talking about running again in 2022. So, um, but I love to have you on here as a candidate, and we'll talk about the issues. Um, but uh, yeah, so after the debate, um, what happened? So. Uh, there were some polls and it was interesting. Like they asked this question, how did the debate debate make you feel? And overwhelmingly, the top response was annoyed. 69% of people said they were annoyed. 31% entertained, 19% pessimistic, 18% optimistic. I don't know who the hell they were. 17% informed, really? And 9% inspired. <laughs> But still, 69% of the people said that they were annoyed. Uh, was the tone of this debate generally positive or negative? Positive, 17%. Negative, 83%. Um, and then another part of this is, did tonight's debate make you think better or worse of the candidates? Joe Biden, better, 38%. Worse, 32%. No change, 30%. So maybe Biden's going to get a tick up. And Trump, better, 24%, worse, 42%, no change, 34%. So maybe Trump's going to take a, a tick or two down from this. But it was interesting when you see all the talking heads afterwards, you know, even like Chris Christie and Rick Santorum and a lot of these other Republicans are saying, we knew Trump was going to be aggressive, but he was way the hell too hot. And he was. So um, it was, you're thinking, this is a president of the United States. And come on, man. It's... Um, you know, he, he just, compl you know, it's funny, too. The Republicans back in the year 2000 were so disgusted by uh, Bill Clinton that they wanted to bring dignity back to the White House. And then they elect Trump 16 years later, you know, the, whose sexual escapades make Clinton look like, you know, you know, small time and who has, you know, all of these terrible character issues. And these Republicans were claiming they wanted to bring dignity back to the White House in 20 in 2000. Unbelievable. So um, there are going to be some more debates. There's going to be a vice presidential debate on October 7th. So that's coming up in about a week. Uh, so that'll be Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. That should be kind of fun to watch. I think there'll actually be a conversation. Um you know, and Kamala Harris, like her or not, she she can make things kind of fun or goofy or interesting. Pence will be like a wet blanket. You know, he won't be very exciting. That's for sure. Uh, the presidential debates will appear again on the October 15th and October 22nd. I bet you a lot of people have already voted by then You know, because the the mail in ballots have already been dispersed. I think the absentee ballots usually come out in early October um, and the people with these mail in ballots, they're mailing them in now because they're such Trust over the Postal Service. Um, so by the time we get to the October 15th and October 22nd debate, will there be um, that many people that haven't voted? I don't know. Now, I always vote at the polls. I, I kind of get a perverse joy out of going to the polls every year. It just kind of feels like I'm part of the process. I know 
then my vote basically means nothing. Um, I know, especially for president, doesn't matter who I vote for in California. It's going to Biden. A hundred percent of the electoral college votes are going to Biden. It's a stone cold lock. Doesn't matter. Um, but even at the local level, I enjoy voting for all my local politicians. But I do know that my one vote isn't going to be a tiebreaker. But I still vote because I like it as an expression of my own values. I like going out there and just, you know, it's like free speech. I get to say what I'm for and I participate in the process. I get one of those I voted stickers. Um, but imagine if you were having to vote between Trump and Biden. I mean, it's, it's literally you have to hold your nose and pick one of those two. That's how bad it is. That's, that's how this whole system is completely degraded to, to this is what we get. So it's just, it's just terrible. Um, so, um, Hopefully we'll see some substance. Maybe the debate coaches will um, get Trump to calm down a little bit. Uh, maybe they'll figure out ways so Biden can get in some of his words edgewise. Um, it was funny how Biden said, man, will you just shut up? And and what else did he do? He was he, he, he called Trump a clown. He called Trump a racist. I mean, Trump probably trying to get Biden off his game, get him into the gutter with Trump. And in some cases, he got Biden to, to you know, go low. Um, you know, Michelle Obama says when they go low, we go high. But, you know, Biden kind of went low. So, um, yeah. So is there going to be more substance? And I think there's just going to be more chaos. And the more chaos they create, the more um, fear, uncertainty and doubt about the election and the, the, the election results. I mean, it's going to make the hanging chads in 2000 look like nothing. You know, we come out of this election. If Trump wins, then, you know, there's all going to be claims of voter suppression and people not being able to vote. And if Trump loses, then there's going to be accusations of um, voter fraud and the mail-in ballots and illegals voting and people voting multiple times. So it it, it just doesn't matter. Whatever ends up happening uh, out of this election, it's going to be a mess. And the way the system is set up, they don't start counting the mail-in ballots until election day. I don't know why they wait. So that's just going to push the um, the final decision much later, especially if there are any states that are contested. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty on election night. We're not going to really know. And then I kind of wonder, how is that going to affect our local candidates? And I talked to Kaylin Frank, our Poway City Council incumbent, and I asked her that question, and she wasn't sure. Um, because if the mail-in ballots aren't going to be counted until after election night, um, yeah, that's going to impact um, how quickly we learn the uh, results of the races of the local election. Because, you know, the, you, here in San Diego, they always go down to Golden Hall and and they have all the news media down there. But actually, they can't really do that now anyways because of COVID. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, because usually right when the polls close, boom, they get an instant number that's shown for all the absentee ballots. And, you know, the, a huge percentage of people vote absentee. It's if, if it's not two thirds, it may be even as high as three fourths. Um, so uh, we're not going to get that big bump right away because they can't start counting them um, early. So um, it's going to be crazy. It's going to it's going to be more chaos. And we get into these next debates. And again, I can't help but watch. It's like a train wreck. You got to watch it. So um, anyway, so I just would love to see my summary of this whole thing is we need more choices. We need more alternative points of view. We need to not be served up Coke and Pepsi and say, that's it. 
Your only choices are Coke and Pepsi. I mean, we have in America, we have so many choices, so many options in every dimension, in every category of life. I mean, even now we don't have two choices of gender. There now there's like 63 genders for Christ's sake. But still, there's only two presidential candidates on the stage and they rig the system. The Commission on Presidential Debates is run by the Republicans and Democrats. It's backed by corporate America, the same people that support those two candidates because they rig the economy to support those corporations and they rig the election. So those parties keep getting reelected and they keep all these alternative points of view outside. So. Just nuts. So, hey, we got a bunch of uh, people following the live stream. I encourage you to type in your questions and comments. Be happy to read them on the air. If you're watching, hey, give the episode a thumbs up or, you know, a, a like or a love or, you know, subscribe. I mean, it really helps us out. We're trying to build our audience. So any kind of love you can share uh, with us, that'd be really appreciated. Um, I do want to now just get to a couple more things because you know, we're kind of near an hour. Um the Poway protesters uh, has been a really hot topic. Uh, you know, I did a podcast um, about the Poway protesters. <laughs> well, actually, Matthew Brannigan said, we need an RC Cola candidate. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Well, how about water? Um, how about a healthy candidate? Um, how about, you know, I mean, just any options for Christ's sake, anything. Um, we need more than two choices on the debate stage. But so anyways, the um, the Poway protesters, man, it got hot here on Sunday, not hot in the weather like it was today, but it got heated. There was violence in the streets of Poway with our Poway protesters that are out there every weekend on the corner of Twin Peaks and Pomerado. And so I did a podcast with them on, in October of 2019. And I actually went out there and I interviewed the leaders on both sides. I interviewed Kate on the anti-Trump side and I interviewed Russell on the Trump side. So if you want to see that podcast, it's really good. It's only about 35 minutes long and it's back in October of 2019. You can look that one up. It's called Poway Protesters and it's um, you can get it on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and iHeartRadio and every one of the audio only podcast platforms. And of course, it's also on my YouTube channel for the John Riley Project. Um, and, that, and that's the name of the audio only podcast as well, John Riley Project. But then I did another episode um, on Monday, um, a couple of days ago, reviewing because there was violence there on Sunday and it got hot. I mean, the the BLM people got involved and Antifa was involved. And and I learned a few more things today. And, um, I'll, you know, just to protect the innocent, I won't disclose my sources, um, but people that were there were telling me how uh Normally, the the group that's on the anti-Trump side, the people that are on the Jersey Mike's corner of Pomerado and Twin Peaks, um, they call themselves the huddle and they actually have a set of rules and they say, hey, we are not going to engage with people on the other side. We know people driving by are going to say bad things, uh, but we're just not going to. You know, we're just going to be here. We're going to express our view. We're going to have fun. We're going to make it festive because they bring music a lot of times. But we're not going to cross the street and engage with the Trump people. We're not going to create a, a fight. And 
that was evident when I interviewed Kate back in October of 2019. And then when I interviewed um, Russell on the Trump side of the street, um, you know, he was largely saying the same thing. You know, um, we're not trying to cause any trouble. We're just supporting our guy. And, you know, we're going to be on our side of the street. And, you know, we're all cool and we respect them. We don't agree with them, but we respect the anti-Trump people. And it was all good then. But what happened over the weekend is that new people showed up and mostly Black Lives Matter um, protesters and excuse me, and some people from Antifa showed up and some of these are, are a lot of these uh, Black Lives Matters protesters are young people here in Poway and they have um, organized a number of marches and protest rallies um, on Espola, kind of near the Poway High and then down on Poway Road and Community Road. They've organized these. But now they're showing up at the um, at the intersection of Pomerat of, of yeah, Pomerado and Twin Peaks. So they're getting involved. There's new people involved and they don't really abide by the huddles rules. Right. The huddle is the group that's been there for over a year and uh, actually probably close to two years objecting to Trump. And their rule is don't engage don't start fights. Don't go across the street. Well, now suddenly these Black Lives Matter people are coming over and they're hot. You know, they got a they got a cause. And, and you know, I, I'm with you. I support the idea. You know, um, I'm all about the, you know, all men are created equal or all humans are created equal. And we all have the same rights. I'm a big equal rights guy. We all have inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I'm a big guy that's against police brutality. So on one level, I'm very supportive of Black Lives Matter. But on other perspectives and people have had, in my opinion, rightful criticism of the group as well. Not, I don't really want to go down that path in this podcast, but it's interesting that the problems that's happened over the weekend on Sunday were because the Black Lives Matter people went across the street. But there were also Trump people that came over to the uh, over to the anti-Trump side. So now it's escalated. Now you got people crossing over the street and we're getting near the election. People are heated. They're hot They're they, Everyone. It's almost like. People want to be provoked. They're itching for a fight. And maybe the fight isn't necessarily fisticuffs, but maybe the fight is just a debate to prove that their side is better and the other side is, is stinks. But it, as this, it, the rhetoric, the, the, the negative energy is kind of taken over there. There's still a lot of positive energy. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the positive energy. I love the free expression out there. But it just definitely seems that as more people are showing up, there are more people showing up that are not aligned with the original groups, don't really believe in their original un, you know, unofficial rules, you know, kind of like Fernando Tatis hitting a grand slam in the ninth inning um, when they're up by eight. But um, they don't believe in the unwritten rules. And then you wonder if some of these people are even from Poway. Um, and and that's why things there. I mean, talk about the debate getting irrational. It's getting irrational at the intersection of Pomerado and Twin Peaks. I do wonder when this debate was so red hot. OK, coming a couple of days after there was violence on the streets of Poway there. What's this Sunday going to be like? And. You know, the cops were there last Sunday, you know, because there was an assault. There was people gotten in headlocks. I don't know who started it. I don't know who had who in a headlock. I just know that there were there were people being physically violent. There was an assault. So the police were there 
Um, and you know, this has happened before. There was a incident that happened in July and a 14 year old kid got tackled, um, by, you know, people on the Trump, Trump people that came over to the anti-Trump side. So I'm curious to see what the police are going to do. And like today I was driving up through that intersection. I'm waiting at the light, you know, that light takes forever. And I look across the street, um, at the anti, at the Trump side. And I looked over at the anti-Trump side by Jersey Mike's. And I see that it's just nothing going on, right? There's like a four lease sign that's there. And over on the Trump side, there's just a bunch of leaves and like a dirt area. And I just remember when I was there on Sunday, man, that place was electric. There were so many people there. It was so this Sunday, I'm curious, is it going to be more and more people? Because we're getting closer and closer to the election. People are energized by these insane, irrational debates. Or are the police going to have a strong presence? Are they going to actually maintain law and order, uh, protect and serve? Um, are they going to try to ratchet down the energy there? I'm very curious. I would hope that the police would have a presence there, especially like last time it, you know, there were smoke bombs and they had to close down the road and everything else. So um, I'm very curious to see what happens. So um, just a few other closing things, you know, we always continue the conversation on social media. Seek me out on my Facebook channel, John Riley, or Facebook page, John Riley Project. I also have the special John Riley Project Insiders Group, and there we have some more detailed, intimate conversations with our Facebook followers. Uh, hardcore podcast fans go there. Look for John Riley Project Insiders Group. You can search for it on Facebook. You have to answer a couple of questions. I let everyone in, and you can join us there too. Um, and I'm also I'm pretty active on Twitter. I do a lot of Padres commentary and then, of course, a lot of political commentary. So my handle there is John Riley Poway. So look me up on Twitter, too, and we'll continue the conversation. Um, was talking to um, also one of our listeners uh, contacted me and um, gave me some good ideas for some podcast episodes. And one of the ones he asked me to do, which I will be doing, is doing a thorough review of all the propositions on the ballot. And um, I know that Chris Cruz is already doing that now with the South and North Poway votes page, uh, kind of sharing the propositions, the pros and cons. And I think she's offering some of her own opinions. Um, I'm going to do the same thing in the podcast. So I'll get my voter man, man, uh, pamphlet out and we'll go through it together and I'll let you know my thoughts. I, I can already tell you I'm a no on Prop 15 and I'll get into that in, in major detail. Chris Cruz and I were going back and forth on that one a few nights ago. But um, I'm, I'm look forward to that and I'll just share my opinions and thoughts and, and then maybe I'll give you some information that you never had before that you can use to consider how you might vote. Um, so that'll be an upcoming episode. Pete Neal and I are still bouncing around this idea of these. <laughs> it's a really cool concept about how there are these systems or these relationships or these situations in life where we can visualize a graphical um, portrayal of it, like a flow chart or um, a Venn diagram or other kinds, concentric circles or things like that, where we can see things in life and we can picture in our mind a visual graphic that kind of constructs the system for us. I've got a bunch of great examples. I know Pete's got some great examples. So we'll be doing that podcast soon. Um, we might have, I mean, we're, I'm having some initial conversations with Tim Doherty. Uh, Tim is a candidate for Poway Unified School District in Area A, which is the the district that is currently occupied by the incumbent Darsh Patel. And um, 
Um, that's, you know, mostly Penasquitos. It's one of the gerrymandered districts in Penasquitos. Remember, Poway Unified, remember, is 100 square miles. It's roughly 10 feet, uh, 10 miles by 10 miles, 100 square miles. And in a one mile radius, you know, a circle with a two mile diameter, they carve that up into three districts three areas. They gerrymandered it to protect the incumbents. Well, one of those incumbents that was protected by that gerrymandering is the incumbent Darsh Patel. Her challenger, uh, Tim Doherty, and I are having a discussion, hoping that maybe he might join us in a podcast episode. We'll see. And of course, every political candidate, I don't care what party you are, I don't care what office you're running for, you are all invited to join me here for a podcast conversation on the John Riley Project. We're typically now doing live streams Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2. Today's was postponed to 7 because of the Padre game. Uh, Matthew Brannigan chimes in on the live stream. He says, intersectionality is destroying the left. They need to get their house in order before they can mount a credible opposition. Um, that's a really, really good topic, Matthew. And, you know, I was encouraged um, by someone else to do a podcast on individualism versus collectivism. That's a we a great topic. You know, I'm a big individual rights guy, but um, intersectionality is just a a kind of a, a, a higher level of collectivism. And um, that would be a fascinating conversation. So that's something I'd love to break down. If someone would like to join me on that conversation, that'd be fun uh, to go through individualism versus collectivism. And I got so many ways that can spin economically. Capitalism versus socialism is kind of part of that. Um, you know, part of it goes down to intersectionality, you know, so it's not so much that, you know, you're defined by your gender, but you're defined by your race, your gender, your religion, your sexual orientation, you know, people carve themselves up into all these different groups. The funny thing, by the way, about intersectionality, if you carry it out to its fullest extent, if you, if you go all the way to the maximum extreme of intersectionality, you end up right back with individualism. Because we end up getting parsed and parsed and parsed until we're only singular entities within our own intersectionality set. So, yeah, that would be a really fun discussion. I look forward to maybe having that in the future. And then um, I mentioned this before, but Jennifer Klein will be joining us on Friday, October 16th. Jennifer is a musician, a Poway resident. She's released a number of albums here. She's a wonderful uh, woman. We've uh, had a podcast with her about a year, year and a half ago. And... Um, just a really fascinating person here locally. Love the fact that she's a musician. She's an artist. She's doing her own thing. Um, she has a really interesting backstory. And we talked about her um, uh, upbringing in the Synanon community. Um, I don't think we're going to really go into that in our second discussion. But if you want to check her out, uh, go back and find the Jennifer Klein episode um, and the Synanon group. Um, really interesting uh, that she was brought up in that environment. But anyways, uh, she'll be joining us on the 16th of October. And hopefully we're going to learn more about some of her new music and some of the new things that she's up to. Uh, we love talking with, um, you know, people that are moving and shaking, right? Whether here in Poway or elsewhere, entrepreneurs, business people, community activists, um, musicians and artists um, love talking. And we talked to religious leaders. We had um, the interfaith group here. We had uh, homeless people that have been interviewed on this podcast. We love getting in a lot of issues. Now, right now it's politics, right? It's hot and heavy with politics. 
Um, I'm sure I'll ask Jennifer Klein how she's voting, so I'll get to that. But um, love getting into a lot of non-political content, as long as it's consistent with our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So um, got one more thing, and this is our closing quote, and it is a fantastic closing quote. And for those of you that are hanging with us for the whole episode, I really appreciate it. Uh, Matthew Brannigan says, yeah, that would be a fascinating discussion, John. Yeah. Intersectionality, individualism versus collectivism. That's a really cool topic. Um, it's the philosophy behind a lot of this political nonsense. Um, so I'm going to quote Noam Chomsky and you wouldn't think in a million years, I would quote Noam Chomsky, right? Noam Chomsky is typically thought of as a a hardcore progressive. Um, But, you know, for me, I'm a supporter of individual rights, right? Inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Sometimes our Venn diagrams overlap. And so Noam Chomsky has this great quote. And think of this in in the context of our political debates and the fact that we only have two people on the stage, a Republican and a Democrat. And he says, the smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow very lively debate within that spectrum. Even encourage the more critical and dissident views in that spectrum. That gives people the sense that there's free thinking going on, while all the time the presuppositions of the system are being reinforced by the limits put on the range of the debate. And that is exactly what happens in these presidential debates. We are served up a Republican and a Democrat. The debate is run by the Commission on Presidential Debates that set up the system to help the Republicans and help the Democrats and keep other points of view out. And they create a model in, in, in cahoots with the media to make you think that these two sides are diametrically opposed. But when, in fact, they are dramatically more similar than they are different. When, in fact, they are just two sides of the same coin. And countless other coins are left out of those debates. And Noam Chomsky hits a home run on this. Speaking of home runs, I am still feeling the pain of that Padre loss tonight uh, or this afternoon. Um, their backs are against the wall. They got to win tomorrow. So we're hoping the Padres will come through tomorrow. Uh, so with that, this is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 170. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be back at you real soon. Take care, friends, and bye-bye.